Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Josh. I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, as the video showed and as uh, was said earlier, we are in our second week in our Exodus series. Uh, I'm here with my family. We're all representing sort of the front row, not quite your front row, but the front row-ish here. I've got uh, my wife, Kristen. We've been married for 19 years this year and then four kids, 16, 15, 13, and 11 and they're all here with me. It's our privilege to be here with you. I was talking to a few of you this morning saying how I get to be here often for student ministries, um, but I'm excited today to be here on the morning side to see all of you guys. So thank you for welcoming me and uh, the rest of my family here today. We are continuing our ex Exodus series, and we began last week talking about seeing ourselves in someone else's story. We're talking about ancient events, events that happened like 4,000 years ago, uh, yet their truth and what is significant about them carries on into today. And if you're careful, if you're paying attention, you will see your story in the story of the people of Israel through the book of Exodus. So that's what we're working on this morning. And last week, we watched our story told in the story of a nation. We looked at the beginning of the nation of Israel as they had gone down to Egypt for refuge uh, through Joseph, uh, God using Joseph, and then ultimately that place of refuge and provision became a place of captivity and enslavement. And we found them enslaved uh, in Egypt like we are, all starting at the beginning of our lives, enslaved to sin. This week, instead of focusing on a nation, we're going to zoom in and focus on one person in particular. More on that in a few minutes. Um, I know that we are sort of new with each other, some of us, but I need to break your heart this morning. I have these talks with my kids every now and then, and that's the way I have, I don't know if it's the right way to begin them, but it's the way I begin by saying, I, I need to break your heart here for a second. And um, I'm breaking your heart in hopes that in a few minutes, you'll see that it was actually a favor done for you rather than something told to you. Um, and so here's what I'm going to say. There are 7.64 billion people on the earth, all right? That, that's a lot of people. Uh, let's just think about the significant things that people do, the ones that are noteworthy, the ones that come across our headlines on our phones, on our television sets, or on our computer screens. Um, professional golf. Golf may not be your thing, but let's listen to these stats on golf. There are 7.64 billion people on earth. 175 of them are on the PGA Tour. All right, that's not many. There are 220 women on the LPGA Tour. Okay, golf, not your thing. How about NBA, NBA basketball? You know there are 450 players in the National Basketball Association, and there are 204 in the WNBA. Uh, are you, is that any of you guys? No? Okay, not me either. Um, there are 620 in the NHL, 620 players, 713 on active rosters, Again, 7.64 billion people. We're talking about people who are not in this room. How about in the major leagues, in, the, in, in baseball, MLB? 750 players in the MLB. In fact, there are, 50, or there are 1,200 after September call-up. So in September, you get to expand your roster a little bit. It, it expands to 1,200 people, 1,200 men playing in the MLB total. Not you? No, not me? Okay, let's keep going. Uh, NFL. How many of you plan to watch some sort of NFL game today? Good. Both of you. Good job. 
All right. There are, 609, there are 1,696 players in the NFL, 1,504 on each active roster. Let's, let's finish with this in, in the world of sports. You've got 11,260 athletes competing in the 2020, that took place in 2021, Tokyo Olympic Games. All right? That is 11,260 people. 51% of those athletes are male. 49% of them are female. There's just not a lot of people when it comes to the scope of the people on the earth. The amount of people doing these noteworthy things in the world of sports is just not many. Let's switch gears here. Let's talk about government. There are 24 million government officials, 16 million in state and local governments. Okay, so that's just still, that's way more people, just not a lot. Now that might be some of you, state and local government, I don't know. There are 44 monarchies in the world. Did you know that? 44 monarchies in the world. Um, there are two queens and 21 kings. All right, we're not talking about any of the other sort of princes and princesses, but, you know, 44 monarchies. Uh, let's, let's expand this a little bit. Out of the 7.64 billion people in the world, there are 4.48 billion social media accounts in existence. Okay, so now we're thinking, okay, that's more my speed. I am one of the 4.48 billion. I have social media. <laughs> I made the list. Great, that's cool. Um, there are about between 3.2 and 37.8 million, uh, I'm sorry, thousand of our, are actually influencers. People actually doing something to influence someone else on social media. That's where I back out. Like, nope, I have them, they exist. I don't do anything on them. They're just kind of there. Not very important. So that's a max of less than 1% of people with social media accounts actually would be considered an influencer. So young people, you're thinking of starting your career as a social media influencer, maybe you'll make it. You'll be less than 1% of people who have social media accounts. And then uh, let's just for fun throw this one in there. Saturday Night Live in its entire existence has only featured 156 cast members. So that's just not a lot of people. What am I trying to say? How am I breaking your heart? Here it is. We're not very special. We're just not very special. You and I, we're ordinary people. We're just people. We're just plain old, ordinary people not doing anything of remote significance before a world that's looking for significance. Whatever your area of interest, there aren't that many special people. Most of us live in relative obscurity. We're happy to be known by our family. We're happy if our grandkids know our names. A time will come when family, three generations after us, will not know our name or much of anything about us. The fact is, we will be forgotten for far longer than we were ever known. Breaking your heart. Not only are we generally insignificant, we complicate these matters by making terrible choices, far often than we wish we did far more often than we'd like to recount, far more often than we'd like for anybody to know. We mess up our obscurity by doing stupid and sometimes sinful things. Why do we do this? We do this because, as we pointed out last week, we begin life enslaved to sin. That's our default position. We are far from God. We are in great need of rescue, and we just complicate matters by our own choices. 
And it's true that no matter what is true of our lives, we all have parts of our past that we would like to bury in the sand. Just pretend it never happened. You know that, that five-year period of time where you just sort of went off the rails? You know, maybe it's how you spent your college years. Maybe it's that relationship that you had you hope never really surfaces again in your life. Or maybe it's that secret that you are just praying never, ever leaks. You and I, beyond not being special, we do stupid terrible and sometimes sinful things. To make matters even more disappointing, we also all have areas of our lives that we would love to change. We have things about us that we would love to be different. We would love to be taller, stronger, shorter. We have straight hair. It needs to be curly. Curly hair, longing for it to be straight. Whatever it is, we all have these things that we wish were different. I remember This is back in 2008. I delivered my very first sermon as a part of a brand new, uh, I was brand new to a church in New York State, uh, a ways away from here. And I just had prayed and I had worked and I had put together this message and I delivered it. The very first feedback I ever got, this woman made a beeline for me after the message. I stepped down the stairs just like these and she came up to me and she said, thank you for your message today. I was like, well... Aw, thank you. I appreciate that. And then her face took a, it made like a, like a, a turn. And she said, you don't have a very good preacher's voice. And I said, I'm sorry. She said, yeah, your voice, it's not really suited for preaching. Now, I had just trained for eight years to do the very thing that I was doing. And the very first message I get from someone who listened to what I said, sat all the way through it, said, Nyeh. Maybe go down another path. Um, So that stung, not bitter. Um, But listen, this is the world we live in. Maybe not every one of us has a sketchy past that we don't want anyone to find out about. Maybe we just are full of insecurities. Things about us that we think are going to keep us from really doing anything of remote significance. Um, What's the point? The point is we want to look in Exodus, to find a man who, if he had reason to hide his past, or if he had reason for insecurity, he's like the poster child for a checkered past and significant insecurities. And we're going to see what happens in his life when God invades his story. And my hope for all of us is that we will see what can be true of us, what God can do in us when he invades our story as well. So again, heartbroken, maybe, just hang on, because I think there's going to be a thread of hope woven throughout this whole entire account, and that's really what I want you to see. So we find ourselves, once again, in a story that's not our own, but in a story that tells a story, which I just really kind of love. We're talking about a man named Moses. We're going to get into his life and learn about the kind of person that God was going to choose for an extraordinary task. Let me just summarize the beginning of his life. In fact, Let me just read this for you because this is one of the things I love about the Bible. We could go to Exodus chapter 2. In fact, you could could turn there and you could sort of camp out there. We're going to be chapters 2 and 3, a little bit into chapter 4. Have some ground to cover this morning. But if you ever wonder, like, is the Bible really, is it legit? Is it true? Can I rely on it? It's interesting that Luke, who existed thousands of years after these events, is writing to a completely different group of people, referring to events that happened 
thousands of years prior. And here's what Luke says about Moses in Acts 17, uh, 17 or Acts 7, 17 and 22. Just hang on. I'm not going to show it to you. I'm just going to quickly read through it. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. We covered that last week. Then a, a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt tre treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born. So this is the circumstances surrounding Moses' birth. Not a good time to be born. Okay, you got a pharaoh, a ruler, who's saying, if you're a boy, you're going into the Nile, you are crocodile food. That's it, you're just going to drown. And, and the cre creatures of the Nile are going to uh, have you for, for dinner. But he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. We're going to look at Moses, this guy who was born when he really shouldn't have been born. It was a bad time to be born. In fact, no one could even know the birth announcements did not go out because they had to keep the fact that they had a baby boy hidden. But when mom could no longer keep him hidden after three months or so, she decided, I'm going to put him in the Nile, but I'm not going to throw him right in the water. I'm going to build a basket for him. She built this basket, waterproofed the thing, put the baby inside, and floated it down the Nile. Her, her daughter, Moses' sister Miriam, is watching this whole thing happen. And I don't know how this all went down or the timing, but all I know is there was a time when Pharaoh's daughter came out of the water to take, or down into the water to take a bath and noticed this basket. She sent her servant after it found the baby, and took pity on the baby. This nameless baby decides, I'm just a young princess. I can't take care of this baby. I certainly can't nurse this child and help him grow. So Moses' sister Miriam says, hey, would you like me to find one of the Hebrew women, one of the Israelites to nurse him? She said, do it, and I'll pay that woman. So Miriam goes back to mom. Mom says, yeah, I'll do it. She gets her boy back and is now paid for being a mom. This might be the first time in the history of the world a mom has been paid just for doing her job while caring for this child. Amazing. Amazing. And Moses grows up. Um, but not everything was awesome with Moses' upbringing. He is an Israelite, a Hebrew, growing up in the land of Egypt. Not just in the land. He's growing up as one in Pharaoh's household. Pagan religion, pagan culture, far from God, worshiping multiple gods, somehow this guy, with born at an unlikely time, is going to be used by God to do something. But there comes a point in his life where he makes a terrible decision. And here's, here's where we're confronted with the very first truth. And here's where we'll get into the text a little bit. Uh, Moses makes a life-altering decision that comes to haunt him. He is a guy who has part of his past that he would love for no one to know about. And this brings us the first truth that we're confronted with today. Here it is. The first truth that I want us to wrestle with today is this. You may let your past define you, but God doesn't. You may let your past define you, but God doesn't. Just, I want you to just hold on to that for a second, because as we read through Moses' life, I really want you to just hang on to it and believe that that's true. Because sitting in a room with this many people in it, I am confident that there are things in our pasts we would love to move on from and never think about again. Watch what happens with Moses. Chapter 2, verse 11. 
One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, "Uh, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. Let's skip ahead to verse 21. Moses agreed to stay with this man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to his son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So while Moses was born at a time where it really wasn't a great thing, it wasn't very popular to be a baby boy, okay, we see him growing up with a lot of promise. Like he had advantages. He had wealth, he had education, he had the resources of the ruler of Egypt at his disposal. He didn't grow up in a hut. We imagine he grew up in wherever Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was living, Moses was there. But in one moment, despite all that he had going for him, he made a terrible decision to take someone's life. He had, in effect, sealed his fate and set the course for the rest of his life. So he ends up running away from Egypt, running away from that choice. He, in fact, we know that Moses traveled over 300 miles to get away. He was gone. He didn't, he didn't only run away, he stayed away for 40 years. Imagine a choice so devastating that you would travel by animal or by foot 300 miles and stay away for 40 years. Years. It's not hard to imagine that Moses was pushing reset on his life. He was setting up not only a new location, this guy setting up a brand new identity. He got married. He had children. In fact, it kind of sounds like an amazing Hollywood movie. He, the guy runs away and sets up his own family, but you're just waiting for this past, right, to come back haunting him into his life. Well, I wonder... Have you been where Moses was? You find yourself running from your choices? Find yourself trying to distance yourself from who you've been in the past, the types of things you did in the past? You find yourself trying to push reset? Are there things that you hope no one finds out about? Things that you, you just are confident. If someone knew them about you, they would turn their back on you. Have you been there? Do you feel like the course of your life has been set because of the choices that you've made? 
There's no more hope for you. Maybe this account from Moses' life helps describe you and how you're feeling. The things you've done have left a mark that you can't erase. You see, very quickly, this ancient account about an ancient person fast forwards and becomes a part of my life and yours because we are these people. We make these choices. And while there are real life consequences for our decisions, the hope this morning is that these things do not have to define us. Do you know that? Do you know that the choices of your past do not need to define your future? Look at what Paul writes. We'll fast forward to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Here's what he says. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. Paul's writing to a group of people who are following Jesus and he's making this list of things that with each, with each way he describes them, we just kind of flinch a little bit more and a little bit more and oh my word. But we love, we love this word here at the end of the first sentence, verse 11. That is what some of you, what does it say? Were. Were. Past tense, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Our hope concerning our past this morning is that though it does inform how we are, it does not have to define who we are. You catch that? Your past helps inform how you are, but it does not have to define who you are. And maybe for some of you in this room, you could say, okay, I got what I need. That's it. Maybe that's God's word for you this morning. It's just speaking to your past, helping you say, when God invades my life, my past does not need to to define me because I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified in the name of Jesus. This is why Bridgewater Church exists we want to make more and better disciples, and we don't, we're not looking for clean people who have it all together. We believe that we're on mission to see anyone who would come to Jesus to come and come here and meet you and find Jesus. Some of you, that is your story. We know. We've heard. We've seen it on a video. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. I want you to know this. God is not running from your past. He's using it. God is not running from your past. He's using it. We're about to see what God does with Moses. Moses is perfectly positioned to do something amazing in Egypt, not in spite of his past, but because of his past. This is, this is so cool. Sometimes our past alone is enough to keep us from turning to God um, or from thinking that God can use us. But I know this isn't all of us. I know some of us, we've had a pretty vanilla life. Not much to speak of, been kind of boring, been kind of uneventful. And maybe you did as a young person keep your nose clean. 
You, you did. You worked hard. You just sort of followed the rules. Maybe for you, it's not a checkered past that's your problem. Maybe for you, it's just your perceived limitations or insecurities. It's, it's your preacher's voice that you don't have. So here's the second truth, and this one concerns our limitations. This is the second truth you and I need to wrestle with today. You may let your limitations define you, but God doesn't. You may let your limitations define you, but God doesn't. We're going to be in chapter 3, so find chapter 3, verse 2. We're going to be in here, and then we're going to jump into chapter 4. This is amazing. We're going to cover a lot of ground in Exodus right now. Here's what it says. So Moses went to this mountain of the Lord to Horeb. Okay, this is, this is now where he's led the flock. We just finished off at the end of chapter 2. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. This is classic kids, kids ministry, Sunday school type stuff. Like we love this story. A bush and it's on fire and it didn't burn. That's cool, but that's not the, that's not the key. That's not the, okay, let's move on from that. That is amazing, okay? I'll give you that. Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. See, he fell for it too. It's about the bush. It's not about the bush. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, as Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I'm coming down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, what you and I probably would say, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Jump to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, what, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and, turned, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. So Moses has been chosen by God. This murdering man has been chosen by God to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God had already made it clear, your past, yeah, I've taken care of it. Your past will not keep you from me using you in the future. And I want us to notice what God is doing here. God wanted him to return to the place he left, but as a different person. Not different in identity, but different in how he fundamentally viewed himself. 
He wasn't Moses the fugitive. He was Moses now, the leader. He had been delivered from death as a baby. Now he was going to be the deliverer. God isn't like making incremental changes here. God has like flipped the script on this man's life, and it's unbelievable. God is talking to Moses, telling him exactly what he's going to do, exactly how he's going to do it, but Moses is locked in on one thing, his insecurities. We've already read that Moses was powerful in speech and in knowledge, but somehow Moses' view of himself was less than that. He said, I, I, don't, I don't talk good. God, I, I can't go. I'm not that person. So it wasn't only his past that kept him out of the game, it was his insecurities. He focused on what he didn't have or what he thought he didn't have. But here's where we get to see God's perspective on this and how God responds to Moses' rebuttals. You see, God didn't need Moses to have weapons. He just needed Moses to believe him. God said to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses was like, a staff. Think of the things we see that staff doing. Not only does God cause him to throw it to the ground and becomes a snake, a snake, he puts it in the water, the water turns to blood. He hits it on the ground and the dust becomes flies through a series of plagues on Egypt. He holds up his staff and the Israelites have a miraculous victory over an opposing nation. This staff, a wooden stick, is all God needed. He didn't need Moses to be the greatest orator of his time. He didn't need him to have a better preacher's voice. He didn't need him to be taller, thinner, more athletic, curly-haired, straight-haired, or anything else. He just used what was in his hand. Listen, if God wants you to do something, he's going to supply all that you need in order to do it, in order to get it done. God doesn't need us to be strong when he's the one supplying the strength. God doesn't need us to correct his choices. Our confidence is not to be found in what we see, but in what we believe. If God today is working in your heart to say, hey, you know what? I know your past better than you do, and I want to use you still. You need to let him. If God is stirring in your heart today to say, I don't care what you think you have or don't have going for you. I'll be with you. And if all you have is a wooden stick, I'll use that. God asked Moses, what's in your hand? And that's a question that you and I need to wrestle with this morning too. What is in your hand? What do you have? What do you have that God would use? I think if God could use a wooden stick to conquer a nation, I think God probably can use what you have to offer as well. I think God probably can use a guy without a preacher's voice to proclaim the word of God. I've watched him do it over and over again. I know who I am. Sometimes I wonder, why am I? Why, why do I? God just continues to work God continues to use unlikely people to do amazing things. I wonder what your big insecurity is this morning. Maybe, maybe you're sitting thinking, boy, he said past or limitations, past or insecurities. 
I've got both. Well, so did Moses. So did Moses. And if there's hope for him, there's hope for you. Watch this New Testament example of God doing the exact same thing. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. You can see it behind me. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had what? Had been with Jesus. And if Jesus has worked in your life at all, there is no limit to what God could do through you. No limit whatsoever. God can use whomever and whatever he wants to accomplish his agenda, but he doesn't tend to choose the select few. You know, the NBA stars and MLB players. There's a few of them he may use. You know who God tends to use? The rest of us. To do his extraordinary work. You see, God is not worried about what you lack. He's providing it. God is not worried about what you lack. He's providing it. And do you know what it is? It's his presence. It's Jesus. He fills up what you are lacking. God is going to accomplish his agenda in the world. He accomplished his agenda with the Israelites in Egypt. And God will accomplish his agenda today. And he will use again whomever or whatever he wants And I think the message for us this morning is your past, yeah, God can use that. Moses goes back, we'll cover that next week, to Egypt on mission from God and accomplishes everything that God set out for him to accomplish. Even though he didn't talk good and even though all he had going for him was a stick. Unbelievable. We don't need to improve God's plan. We just need to believe in him. We just need to follow him. See, when God is in the equation, our past is a tool to show off his power. And when God is in the equation, our limitations are opportunities for God to show up in a big way. He's not worried about your past. He's not running from it. He's using it. He's not worried about what you lack. He is providing it. And I wonder this morning, what is holding you back? from saying, okay, God, here I am, warts and all. What do you want to do? I'm done making excuses. I wonder, I wonder what God would do if a group of people like this said that. I sure hope we find out. Would you pray with me? God, we, uh, we're grateful this morning that you that, that you overcome our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our limitations. Because our limitations and shortcomings are great. They're many. And we're asking you this morning to do something remarkable. Something that we couldn't work up on our own. I pray that as your Holy Spirit works in our lives, you would convince us that our past is a tool, and you can and will use it to be helpful in helping us live on mission and seeing more people come to Jesus. I pray that you would help us to hand you our limitations, our insecurities, and be expectant and confident about what you'll do. But we we can't just work up this confidence on our own. We need you to give it to us, and then we need you to work through us for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.